Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As a church family, uh, we are in a journey, a study, a verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of 1 John. And this weekend, we are in part three of a mini-series within that study called Living in the Last Days. And thus far uh, in this series, we have navigated through some pretty heavy waters. In this portion of his letter, John has helped us answer questions like, what is the last hour? What does that mean? He's also helped us answer questions like, what is the Antichrist? What does that mean? What is he indicating when he says those types of words? And I know when it comes to a topic like this, there are many, many different perspectives. We have already shared with you in this series, we know there are some people who are obsessed with this topic. They love to talk about it. They love to debate it. They love to look at the scripture when it comes to this idea of the last days. But there are also people on the other extreme who would say, I don't want to talk about it at all. And to be honest with you, over the course of my spiritual journey as a Jesus follower, I've kind of been on both extremes and everywhere in between. Early on when I came to Christ, here was my thought. Those things, those events are so far in the future, I don't even want to think about them right now. But I find myself today being in a place where I recognize that we are living in a time where the reality of the last days should create urgency for us as the people of God when it comes to the mission. And so regardless of where you are kind of on that spectrum this morning, we're glad you're here. And we're going to continue with this series, Living in the Last Days. And in part one of this series, Pastor Vance gave us two realities that I want us to remember this morning as we begin. And here, here's the first one. Every generation of Jesus followers since the early church has thought we are living in the last days. Do you realize that since Jesus ascended to heaven, every generation of disciples has thought to themselves, this is the end. We're close. We are living in the last days. And that is true now for our generation as well. Here's the second reality that Pastor Vance shared with us in week one. Some generation of Jesus followers will experience the last days of life on earth as we know it. And we are closer to the last days than we have ever been before. If you have a Bible this morning, 
Would you look with me in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, and we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 2 this morning, verses 28 and 29. And in the verses we're about to read, John transitions his focus in this letter to the second coming of Jesus. He's going to unpack for us as Jesus followers how we are to live today in light of the day of Christ's return. So look with me in the book of 1 John chapter 2. I want to read just two verses this morning, verse 28 and 29. Here's what the Bible says. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Here's what I want to do during our time this morning. I want to ask and answer two important questions as it relates to the return of Jesus Christ. And here's the first one. Is Jesus Christ really going to return? Now, I know that's maybe too simple of a question to ask in a Christian environment, but I feel like it's very important for us, if we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus, that we lay down a biblical foundation in response to this question. Because I believe, according to the Bible, the answer is yes. Verse 28, John indicates the appearing, the second appearing of Jesus. He says, so that when he appears, literally meaning at a point in time, Jesus is going to return. Now I want you to notice what he did not say in verse 28. He did not say, so that if he appears. He did not say, so that in case he decides to appear. He said, so that when he appears. I want you to wrap your mind around this biblical reality this morning. Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. I love what John MacArthur said in just sharing his heart through one of his books called The Second Coming. John MacArthur said this. I think, yep. <laughs> Christ could come at any moment. I believe that with all my heart. I love this. Not because of what I read in the newspapers or online, but because of what I read in the Scripture. It has been observed by numerous commentators that on average... One out of 25 verses in the New Testament referenced the Lord's return. So obviously, John was not the only person inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write about the return of Christ. Dr. Luke wrote about it in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has just ascended into heaven and all of his followers are staring up at the sky trying to get their mind around what just happened. And two angels appear, and here's what the angel said. 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Paul wrote about the second coming of Christ. He says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. You see, it is not a matter of if Christ is going to return for his church. It is a matter of when Christ is going to return for his church. The New Testament gives us zero room for doubt that Jesus Christ will come again one day. That is a reality that as we begin this morning, we must all wrap our heads around. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, I'm with you. Jesus Christ is coming again. But let me ask you this question, Pastor. When? When's he coming again? And to that, my response is, that is a great question for Pastor Teddy. <laughs> and you feel free at any point to send him an email, give him a phone call. But no, Scripture speaks to that. Matthew's gospel tells us, no one knows that day or hour, not the angels, not the son, but only the father. So first question this morning, is Jesus going to return? Absolutely. The New Testament is clear that our king is coming again. Well, if that's the case, here's our second question this morning. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. How does the reality of Christ's return impact my life today? If we've established this morning that according to the inspired love letter that we call the Bible, Christ is going to return again one day, how does that reality impact my life now? Well, John begins this passage by saying, now, little children. Meaning, he's writing to some people that he loves He's writing to some people that are at all different places as it relates to spiritual maturity. And his aim in writing these verses is to help them grasp that the reality of Christ's return should impact the way that they live every single day. If you study the book of Acts specifically, you see that the early church had a strong expectation and hope that Christ might return in their lifetime. There was a longing for that. There was an expectation that they were living in the last days and Christ might return while they were still on earth. I believe that as we await the return of Christ, we should live with hopeful assurance that our King is coming. I want to stop here and ask you something. As you think about 
your perspective on a a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Are you living with anticipation that Christ is going to return one day? Because what's easy is to find ourselves in just this rhythm of doing our normal routine and we lose perspective that this world is not all there is. I believe as the people of God, the reality of Christ's return should stir something in us on a moment-by-moment basis and it should affect the way that we live our lives today. There's a principle in verse 28 regarding our assurance of Christ's return that I want to share with you this morning. And and here's the principle. The heart of the Father is for His children to live with confidence as they await the return of Christ. The heart of our Father is for us as his children to live with confidence, to live with assurance, to live with hope as we await his return. There are certain characteristics that ought to be true of every believer. And one of them is shown here in verse 28. The way that that John unpacks this characteristic is he shares two responses to the return of Christ. The first response is confidence assurance, boldness. The second response is a shrinking away or embarrassment because of shame. The word confidence here, it means courage without fear. It means assurance. It means boldness. It's the idea that when Christ returns, there will be people who say, finally, I've been living my life in light of this day. It's been in my mind, it's been in my heart, and I've been yearning to be brought to intimate relationship like never before with my Heavenly Father. That's confidence. But John says there are going to be some children of God that when Christ returns, that's not going to be their response. They're going to shrink away in shame. It literally means to be put to shame. There will be some that will be confident upon Christ's return. But there will also be some who are ashamed. I want to give you an example of this that I think we can all relate to. Um, I can recall numerous times in my life, especially when I was in high school, when my parents would lay out for me what was in line with their desires for my life. Basically clarifying for me, Travis, this is right, and this is our very best for you, and this is not our best for you, and you shouldn't settle for it. Unfortunately, there were a lot of times in my life when I would not choose to walk in their very best for me or what they had shared. I would choose to selfishly walk in my own desires. As short-sighted as they might have been, I chose to do what I wanted to do. And in those moments, the thing that I did not want around me were my parents. It wasn't because I was afraid of them. It wasn't because I thought I might no longer be their son. 
I knew I would always be their son. But the presence of my parents brought shame and embarrassment to me because I knew I was not living my life according to their very best. And John is saying there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return. And there are believers who are very much aware of what God's very best is for them. But because they are not walking in that and living according to his very best, when he returns, they are going to shrink away in shame. Now, why would a child of God shrink away in shame upon the return of Jesus? Well, here's a couple reasons. They know that they exist for God's purposes, but they choose to live for their own. They consistently ignore the conviction of God and live in sin without acknowledging before him that it's wrong. They settle for all the external trappings of Christianity, but they know in their heart that they are not walking in dependence on God. This is such an incredible way to evaluate if today you are living in a way that is honoring to God. Because if there is an attitude or action in your life that is currently outside of God's best, I want you to hear me this morning. You are not getting away with something. You are missing someone. God has a plan for you. And it's a good plan. And he desires for us as his children to walk in his very best, in his will, in his plan, not choose to function according to our purposes, which will never lead to joy, satisfaction, or peace. So that's the principle in verse 28 that I want all of us to understand. It is the desire of the Father. His heart for his children is that we would live in confidence today and on the day of Christ's return. There's another principle in this passage that I want to I share with you this morning. And it's this. The greatest way to prepare for the return of Christ in the future is to walk in intimate fellowship with him today. If this morning you recognize, wow, I really have no confidence right now. Here's the greatest way for believers to prepare for the return of Christ. The greatest way is to walk in intimate fellowship with him today. If you've read through this passage at all before this morning, you know that in these verses there are really two exhortations that John shares. And I want to give those to you this morning. Here's the first exhortation that John shares to help us live with confidence today and on the day of Christ's return. Here's the first one. Abide in Christ. He comes right out of the gate in verse 28, and that's what he says. Now, little children, abide in Christ. If you've, if you've been at hope for any length of time, uh, you have heard us teach the necessity of abiding in Christ. If not, let me give you a statement just to really clarify what that means. We believe that abiding means to live in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. That's what abiding is. To live in 
fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. One primary way that we deepen our relationship with God is through spending time alone with Him every day in fellowship. We call that, at hope, God time. However, if you limit your perspective of abiding to only your God time, you have missed the fact that God has brought you into a relationship that is deepened through moment-by-moment fellowship. John is saying if you want to prepare for the return of Christ, here's one of the best things you can do. Abide in Him. Deepen the relationship through moment-by-moment fellowship. And I want us to see this this morning. Every moment and situation in your life is an opportunity to press into Jesus and abide in Him in a deeper way. Let me give you a couple of examples. In your life, in my life, in moments of uncertainty, he is our counselor, our guide, and the only one who always speaks the truth. So press into him and listen. In moments of great joy, maybe with your family or with your job or with your relationships, he is our ultimate source of joy. And the one from whom all blessings flow. So in moments of joy, press into him and thank him. In moments of pain, he is our refuge. He's our strength. He's the one who upholds us with his righteous right hand. Press into him and be sustained by his grace. Every moment and situation in your life is an opportunity to press into Jesus and abide in him in a deeper way. A couple, uh, couple weeks ago, I was teaching here at Hope. And the whole week before, I was like really, really sick. Like as sick as I can remember being in my life. It was a really bad situation. I had some sinus stuff. Um, it was a bad week. And I was preparing to teach. And honestly, what I'm thinking is, Lord, how can I take enough medication just to get through these three sermons. <laughs> I was struggling. Um, and I remember the Lord that week just really stirring in my heart this whole reality that I was to use that struggle as an opportunity to press into him. And I remember before the 9 o'clock service, some of our pastors were just praying over me. And, and one of the pastors prayed, God, I pray that today in Travis's weakness you would be made strong. And it's like the peace of God just came over me in an incredible way. And I said to myself, Lord, if I go down today, I'm going to go down abiding in you. But every moment, every situation in your life is an opportunity to press into him. And yes, it is powerful to have time alone with him in the morning, to have God time, to devotionally spend time with him in his word and through prayer. But that's not it. The relationship we have with him is deepened through moment-by-moment fellowship with him. Danny Aiken said this about the context of verse 28 when John writes about abiding. He said, in the immediate context, 
The word describes standing before Christ at the time of his coming without fear and shame. It is confidence that stems from a personal, obedient, abiding relationship with the coming one. That's where it comes from. You say, how do I, how do I develop confidence? How do I develop assurance that when he comes, I'm going to stand before him with no shame and no fear? One of the greatest ways to prepare yourself for that is to press into him today. The first exhortation that John gives in these verses is for us to abide in Christ. Here's the second exhortation that John gives. Pursue a righteous life. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. John is saying that a righteous life flows from an abiding life and gives us confidence before and when Christ returns. Now this is important. A righteous life doesn't earn a relationship with God. A righteous life gives proof that we have a relationship with God. If as followers of Jesus, we are preparing for his coming so that we may have confidence once he appears and we take serious this exhortation to press into him, what is going to flow out of that is a righteous life, a pursuit of a life that is honoring to God. That gives evidence that we have been born again into his kingdom. John Stott said this, A person's righteousness is thus the evidence of his new birth, not the cause or condition of it. John settles in in verse 29 talking about a righteous life as it relates to a believer. On April 21 of this year, so a month from Tuesday, my wife and I are expecting a new baby girl which we're really, really excited about. Now you clap, but I need you to pray for us. Because my wife and I are in a serious argument about what we should name this girl. So if you can pray that she will get right with God and come onto my team, that would be a huge, huge blessing. But when my daughter Scarlett was born and when Reagan was born, Scarlett's four and Reagan's two, when they were born, one of my favorite moments was when I first saw them trying to figure out who they look like. I'm looking for the family resemblance. And obviously, they're covered in God knows what and they're screaming. But when you look past all that, immediately I'm trying to figure out, do they look like me? Do they look like Char? Whose skin tone do they have, the shape of their face, their nose, their eyes, all those things. I was looking, and on April 21st, I will be looking for the family resemblance. Here's what John says. If you want to know the family resemblance 
that every person born of God should possess, here it is, a righteous life. Because every child of God is called to abide in him and press into him, what flows out of that is a righteous life. And so the family resemblance that every person in God's kingdom should demonstrate to the world is the righteous life of Jesus being pressed out through them. So that's John's exhortations. He says, if you really want to prepare to have confidence on the day when Jesus splits the sky and comes back, here's what you can do. Abide in him. Press into him. Leverage every moment and situation to better align your life with Jesus. And out of that, may your actions and attitudes reflect a pursuit of a righteous life. I want to close this morning with with a quote from John MacArthur. Here's what he said. The second coming of Christ is not supposed to make us stop what we're doing to wait for the Lord's return. And neither should it motivate us to focus all our attention on the events and political developments of this world. Instead, it should direct our hearts toward Christ, whose coming we await, and it should prompt us to purify ourselves as he is pure. Jesus Christ is coming. And the reality of his coming should impact the way that you and I live today. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to bow your head this morning. We're going to take a few moments now um, just to respond to the voice of God. I don't know how he's speaking to you today, but I want to ask you a very direct question. Are you prepared for his return? We've looked at the scripture this morning and determined that he is coming again. My question for you is, are you ready? Now, I know there may be some people here and you would say, Pastor, I'm not ready because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, I want you to know that God loves you. He is passionate about a relationship with you. And he demonstrated that by sending his son to the earth to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. He was crucified on a cross and he was killed. But on the third day by the power of God, he was brought back to life. And he stands today ready and willing to give eternal life to all those who surrender their lives to him. So if you're here today and you would say, I'm not ready for his coming because I don't know him. When we stand and sing in just a moment, I want to invite you to come forward, to connect with one of our pastors that are going to be here at the front. We would love to connect you with a counselor who can show you from the Bible how today you can be born again into a love relationship with God. For others of us, you may be here and you would say, Pastor, as you talked about the return of Christ Even though I'm a believer, as I evaluate my life, I'm not living in light of his return. 
maybe this response time for you today just needs to be a few moments where you stop what you're doing and you go before the Lord and you're just honest with Him. Maybe there's an attitude or an action in your life that is not in line with His very best for you. I want to invite you today to take this time serious. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess. Maybe there's a relationship you need to make right. Maybe it's more so just your perspective. That today you want to ask God, Lord, may the reality of your coming, may the reality that the world is not all there is, Lord, may that affect the way I live my life today. These next few moments are moments for us as the people of God to do business with our Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you that we can have confidence in your word. Lord, thank you for these words that we find in the book of 1 John. Thank you for the reality that you are coming back to receive your church. Lord, I pray today if there are those who need to be saved, I pray that would happen. I pray if there are believers here today that are not living in line with your very best, that, Lord, they would make that right today. I pray if there are those here who are having issues financially or physically or emotionally or relationally, that today, Lord, during these moments, Lord, they would cry out to you. They would be prayed over. They would look to you as their hope, as their life, as their joy. So, Lord, we set aside these moments this morning before we celebrate baptism just to respond to you. So we pray that you would speak to us today. Pray these things in Jesus' name.